call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 27 of Call It Friend of the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Rich, and my co-host, Donna Katirnan, watched two films featuring men dressing as women, could we say? 2002's Joanna Mann and 1980's Dress to Kill. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. Check out justwatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Please follow Call It Friend of Podcast on Instagram, like the Facebook page, leave a review on iTunes or any or all of the above. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at callitfriendopodcast at gmail.com. In the words of the great Puff Smoky Smoke, Filet Mignon. Yeah, so what's new with you? Not too much. I think you have a little bit more happened in your life than in mine. Yes, that's right. My girlfriend, who I've been with for five years, gave birth to her first daughter. And uh, yeah, Aaron. Shout out to Aaron. What's her middle name? Macarena Labamba. Nice. Okay, so you decided to keep it Irish. Good yes, choice. Indeed. Aaron Tiernan. Don't really have a middle name. We're not doing middle names, I don't think. What about Zardoz? Uh, Zardoz would be... That'd be pretty cool, I gotta say. I've already watched two movies with her. Well, That's actually, impressive. no. Four. Because I'm to count, like counting the ones for this podcast, which I watched with her. That yeah. could, be deemed child, could be deemed child abuse, I think. I mean, watching is a bit of a stretch of the word. Although she did see a little bit of Joanna Mann. What have you been watching? That must be extremely confusing for a newborn child. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you what. Right, here we go. For like new parents out there who you know are looking for some light entertainment, while and I'm I, this will be the only cliche I'll roll out. But like you know, sleep is tough. Sleep is is tough to come by these days. It is. I'm fine with that. Belen is very lucky, her being a Spaniard and thereby addicted to sleep, that she has uh, hooked up with somebody who can get by on relatively little. But the uh, the two films for this week are just perfect to. Ooh, half watch in is there's a more polite way to put it uh but like you don't really need to you for, particularly with joanna man you can tell everything you need to know about that from the blurb of the film like everything i gave both of these films my undivided attention uh, as did i my point being was that you didn't really need to <laughs> you know it the worst the worst part is i don't remember joanna man Oh really? I don't remember. Like I, it's so lightweight. I remember very yeah. little about it already. It is There's nothing to it. It is the kind of film that I don't know. It's because I've never seen any of his films, but it seems like of the Tyler Perry. Who are you brand? referring to when you? Okay, right. I wondered to you. I was, thought you were talking about Miguel Nunez or something. <laughs> I've never no. seen any of his films. I was like, me neither. Who the fuck is he? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's it seems on brand for whatever Tyler Perry does. Uh, which I've never seen any of the Medium films, but uh, I, I've seen him lampooned on South Park, which is enough for me. But this film inspired me to rewatch the dave chappelle oprah interview where he says hollywood wants to put a black man in a dress i did the exact same thing yeah I did i'm not the, surprised i did the exact same thing yeah um because but i mean i don't think anybody forced nunez's hand on this <laughs> quite honestly he was third choice did you read about who else was 
originally supposed to no, do? No, um, and uh, full disclosure, my notes and research will be of a minimal quality this week. That's fair enough. So let me tell you, the first person, it was uh, when when Tommy Davidson signed on to, uh, onto the film, because Tommy Davidson plays Puffy Smoky Smoke. <laughs> uh, Who's the best? <laughs> Yeah, he, he for me, is the best character in the film, without question. When he signed on to the film, it was originally going to be Will Smith. What? Will yeah. Smith was going to be Joanna Man? Yes. He was signed and then on. And after that, I think so. That was a, like, originally it was a Will Smith project. And then it was going to be Chris Tucker. But Chris Tucker eventually turned it down. Isn't it evident that now, okay, there you have it. There is one black man that Hollywood could not put in a dress was Will Smith. He did, he and look. They tried. Yeah, indeed, they tried. But and then he, you know, look what he became. Good for you, Will Smith. Good for you. Before we proper get into the film, were you watching anything else this week? Because there is one thing I want to talk about. Well, a couple of things. Yeah, I watched all of One Division in all about right. a day. How did you feel I about it? I steamrolled through the entire thing. I thought it was great. It's I could see what you were saying about how so many younger people must have turned off after the second episode, first or second episode. I'm going to include myself in that because mm. in the in the fourth episode, the spoilers, some minor spoilers for One Division here, but at the start of the fourth episode, it shows people coming back after the snap and starts explaining what's going on. And my reaction was like, oh, thank fuck. <laughs> I was so happy when they started, like I needed to be told exactly what was happening. And I like how it fit in with the rest of the MCU. That was a really cool scene um, in the hospital. That was really cool. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. Um, overall, I'm, it made WandaVision made me quite excited for uh, the Marvel TV content yeah, coming up. that's exactly how I feel, yeah. Um, I also, it seems to be a good shoe into how they're going to fold mutants into the world. Now, that would be a typical move, but I don't know how familiar you are with the House of M story in the comic books at all, a little bit. Mm, not really. In the MCU, is this the first time that they've actually referred to Wanda as the Scarlet Witch? Yes, uh, which was is very this, so this clunky. Like they, they kind of build that in. Extremely clunky yeah, piece guess. of dialogue. It's it it's tough to bring well okay but it's tough to bring magic into this universe to yes. to, to kind of go like okay so you were a witch but then you were exposed to the infinity stone which heightened your your witch powers and turned you into this scar because you are the scarlet witch For me the strongest episode was the Malcolm in the Middle style one with Pietro um, just because yeah I think that was genius to, to oh, get yeah, Evan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Evan, Evan Peters, Peters in yeah, his yeah. Uh, Quicksilver Absol that's so good yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say because I was watching it along I will say I obviously Reddit and Twitter and the likes were going mad with speculation on that but my feelings were always no this is a red herring this is they're just fucking yeah. with you that's it because I mean I don't know have you heard reports uh, from the set of um, the uh, the Spider-Man sequel the, the third Spider-Man movie but I mean reports of uh, Tobey Maguire being there Jimmy Fox is going to appear as Electro um, Andrew Garfield's been on set. Your man I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they're they're trying to tie it into that whatever it's called the the, the multiverse of the multiverse. madness or multiverse. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're trying to kind of tie it all together. I I think they did a good job with the X Men universe of that of tying the the different plots together. They did it in uh, Days of Future Past. Oh, they yes. They kind of brought together the yes. They tied it all up. So yes. I think if M the MCU can absorb the Fox properties. And kind of 
tie the universe together, I think it will work quite well. God, those X-Men films really dropped the ball on their legacy, didn't they? I mean, okay, fair enough. I never watched Dark Phoenix because it looked awful, but the, no, but I'm talking the one about, um, with uh, oh, Oscar sure. Isaac was horrendous. Apocalypse. We saw that together. Did we? Did we? I, I do have a recollection of seeing yeah, that in Barcelona. We, that was I, And I genuinely think it was one of the worst films so I ever saw in the cinema. Uh, I thought it was... Yeah, in, it really is. It was really, really nothing to it at all. It is incredibly bad film. So dull. Um, yeah, uh, but then, so the thing that I wanted to bring to the table was, so I breezed through uh, all, most of Ted Lasso in an afternoon. I could not turn it oh, off. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was a little, like, I watched uh, <laughs> the first uh, two episodes a while back, and I, I liked them well enough, but my God. I mean, it's, ju- it's just fantastic. It's good, isn't it? Oh, I... I yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. And I'll put mo- a lot of it down to Jason Sudeikis, but just... I I the I don't know. It seems like a, a story that says uh, it's almost like a good versus evil story, but in a <laughs> in a real setting where it's more like opti- opti- optimism versus pessimism or something. I don't know, but like it, like yeah. I mean, and, yeah, the USA versus the UK. It's very much about the way <laughs> of thinking. Could be, yeah, could be that. But I mean, like even and they really stuck the landing with the ending spoiler for ted lasso but like when he um, yeah. when the your man passes off the ball at the end for the winning goal is beautiful it's really really nice stuff i i felt mm. like it was set in the same universe as the paddington films and i bawled my brains out yeah it was good i was a big and, fan of that uh, i think they've already i think it's been renewed for a third season, third season so they're yeah. going to make the second and it they've already got a third season signed on as well and jason sudeikis won a golden globe just there on the internet, yeah, they did the Golden Globes via Zoom. Yeah, and who else? Uh, Chloe Zhao, she won a yes, Golden Globe. Yes, she did indeed. Thanks to the Call It Friendo podcast, oh, of course, <laughs> championing her cause. Uh, uh, let's see what else. Oh yeah, rewatched uh, for the first time in years something about Mary. I'll tell you what, man, that's that's a first of all, that's a fantastic film. That is so funny. It's still really, yeah. really holds up, and it's all script. Like, there's good performances in there, but it's. I think, for my money, like the funniest film of the last decade or so is probably Step Brothers. Um, yeah, that still makes me laugh a lot, and that is all performance, really. It's all. Mm. It's like it's all performance. It's improv. yeah, because there was probably very little of a script. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But with something about Mary, the script is tight as hell. It's all gags, mm. and Matt Matt Dillon in that film is hilarious. Something about Mary manages one of the like. It's great when you see a film where you can kind of see there's only maybe one real person in this. Like, not even Ben Stiller is a real person. Mary is the only real person. It? Oh, okay. Yeah. Mary's the only real person in it. Everybody else is just pure buffoonery. I don't think she is a real person, though, because I think she's like also like a male fantasy character. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but I, th- I, I, I mean, that's kind of the gag the film plays with a lot. Uh, right. I, after watching it, I, like, I read some... Um, feminist critique and i have to say sorry feminist but i really think they i really think they missed the point on that one because it like it was just supposed to be funny it well it was just supposed to be funny like yeah exactly i mean and part, you tell me i'm not supposed to use spunk as hair gel yeah exactly right try to deconstruct that laura mulvey famous uh, feminist uh, film critic big fan of david lynch <laughs> thank you there we go uh oh yeah and then i went back to the start of the mcu and i watched iron man and i also watched blade um both of which mm. were a lot of fun yeah blade was the first film uh watched by my daughter she liked it 
Uh, she particularly liked it when Blade says, some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill, which is a pretty cool thing to say. How did she feel about Stephen Dorff? Uh, she likes him. She thinks he's cool. He, um, he, I, said to, I, I said to her, I says, you got to remember, baby, this is 22 years old. He's aged a bit, all right? He's not, I mean, because he mm. he's quite a stud in that film. He's a bit grizzled now. Yeah, he's a, a hot piece of ass. And uh, the first Iron Man film, of course, is fantastic. And then just this morning with my daughter, I, w- I went and watched The Godfather, didn't I? So I feel like you're really wasting all these first experiences. Her you- first Godfather viewing. <laughs> she might have to, she might, she's going to have to, she's probably going to have to rewatch that at some stage to, to really get the, <laughs> the finer details of the plot. <laughs> to be fair, though, I mean, it's like, and this week's films are sta- uh, will would feature in this as well but i'm kind of like i i think you know instinctively the sort of films you can you can watch with a baby because the thing is you can't just just leave a baby there i yeah i yet i haven't even mastered the art of sleeping properly in the same room as a baby just because if they make some noise you're mm. like oh don't be dead but well like, i think if they make noise that's fine yeah but, uh i like i like the idea that when she's older she might say like hey i want to watch the godfather and you're like what are you talking about you well you saw it already <laughs> The Godfather is a great film to watch with a baby, just because, like you know, I had I had Aaron on my lap, she there being all cute, and you know, whenever the cuteness overwhelms me and I give her an old kiss or something like that, I've seen The Godfather many times. It's fine, you know what I mean. Watching The Godfather is like I don't know, listening to a greatest hits album or something. It's fine, like you know. Yeah, I've seen it enough for sure. But so you think you're going to be rewatching a lot of stuff? Yes, I do. Um. Uh, yeah, but I'll in general be watching some stuff, and like I've I've been able to read and things like that. It's it's fine. I mean, the house is a bit of a mess, just because we're you know, just figuring so many things out. Does this work? No, it doesn't. Uh, leave it on the floor. Mm. Um, but I mean, it's fine. I've had to put I've had to put the brakes on me reading um, Green Lights, the Matthew McConaughey book to pick up what to expect the first year again and uh, go at it with a highlighter. Uh-oh. But apart from that, it's all good. I might fall behind on my podcast listening, but that is something that really needed to happen. That's probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And this week's two films, for reasons I will explain, were perfect for watching with a baby. I have a question for you. Please. Do you want a man? <laughs> yes, I, I do want a man. Ah, perfect. Yeah, the the Wikipedia article uh, on this film very helpfully uh, explains the film's title is a f- play on the phrase "You want a man." Anyway, directed by Jesse Vaughn, whose name uh, does not warrant a hyperlink on Wikipedia, so that says enough about his career, I would imagine. He's a multi. I want to say like Golden Globe winning director. I think he's directed a lot of TV, TV stuff and documentaries. Sorry, he's a 27-time Emmy Award winner. What? That's insane. I don't even want to know for what. So the first film we're going to watch, the one that you brought to the fore. And now that I fully understand what Sorry. what we meant by um, bad movies, the next time we decide to do this, I'll be ready. Okay? I've, I've written... Yeah, John Carpenter's Vampires is fine. Yeah, I just want, like, well, I suppose I was thinking more in line of the last time we did it when we ended up watching uh, Riddick. I think, I think Joanna Man's better than Riddick. Oh, it Chronicles de- of Riddick. Definitely, no. definitely is. The Chronicles of Riddick is the worst film I've watched in the last 10 years. No, that's hyperbole, but still, it's pretty mm, that bad. That is slightly over the top. Certainly the, the, the worst film I've watched in the last year, uh, because I would have turned it off. I oh, wouldn't yeah. have turned off Joanna Man. 
Definitely not. Would've no, won- it was fine. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. I actually laughed out loud a few times, but probably yeah. more not so much of what was not so much at like the jokes, but the fact that they were doing the jokes. Yes. I was like, fucking hell. There's you one can't jo- do that. <laughs> there's one joke that I laughed at, which I'll get to. Uh, the one point where I really laughed was when uh, Smokey Puff Puff goes, Philip Mignon, <laughs> how do you like it? How do you like it? I don't know why, but that really, something about something about Tommy Davidson's performance actually really worked for me. I was like, this is, he's a funny character. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely the best thing in the movie. Oh God, it's, it's a... <laughs> I mean, I really feel for somebody like Vivica A. Fox in this, who's kind of put giving it dr- drama or trying to. It's just such an insane thing. Juwata Man is a 2002 uh, American romantic comedy drama. It's labeled, which, come on, stop. Stop that. Uh, it's weird that they try to add the romance element into it because yeah. that just makes it like rapey over the t- yes <laughs> if you if you consider the whole thing like a romantic comedy yeah i mean this film uh, i've just bemoaned it a little bit um comparing something about mary to uh, stepbrothers but uh, this film could have really used an injection of whatever it is will ferrell brings to the fore just I mean, it like maybe it was just too early in film history that this film ended up taking itself slightly seriously. Anyway, it certainly wasn't wacky enough. No, 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 absolutely not. Yeah, film opens with um, our hero Jamal Jeffries, um, who I mean, if anybody saw the Last Dance on Netflix last year, I mean, you could say he he's a little bit of a mix of michael jordan with um what's the name of the fellow who's friends with kim jong-il dennis rodman dennis uh, rodman yeah yeah yeah. just uh, undisciplined and egotistical and uh he won't play with his teammates even though he's really really talented and then we see that him in a game he gets benched and um for just being just being an arsehole really and uh, then he proceeds to strip off on the side of the court and throw his uh, all his garments into the crowd. What you just referred to, I laughed at the fact that they were doing the jokes. This would be number one for me. When, uh, see, you cut to the different people in the crowd's reaction when he pulls off his jockstrap. <laughs> and one of the reactions is a lady, pretty much her face saying, my God, he's got a big willy. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's yeah. There, looking at his willy going, that's a nice willy. That's yeah. the kind of joke that the star of the film demands to be written in, who's like, I want a really hot woman looking at me going, mmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Vin Diesel uh, production note. So then anyway, he gets a, he gets dropped by his team and by his agent, Kevin Pollock. But he's Kevin Pollock, so we know he'll be back, you know. All the while he's having, his reaction to it is to have the sort of party that would generally be, uh, provide the backdrop for uh, a rap video. It's fair to say. Not sure if you noticed that Kevin Pollock's character is called Lorne Daniels. I did not. It's just it's clearly a reference to Lorne Michaels. Do you think? It must be. Lorne Daniels is 100% got to be supposed to be some reference to Lorne Michaels. I don't know why they did that. I don't know if that's like the yeah. writers of the film had yeah. some kind of axe to grind with Lauren Michaels. I don't know. I or they say, just thought this sounds like a good name for an agent. There are very few people in the world called Lauren, so that's fair. 
I, yeah. I, I would say, yeah. Okay, no, I, did, I didn't really notice that. I doubt Lorne Michaels did either, <laughs> to be fair. So then anyway, he goes on with his party. He's in his, uh, he's in his big mansion with his girlfriend, Tina, played by Lil' Kim, who takes an awful lot of abuse. Um, all the while, he is down in the middle of a dance floor surrounded by uh, three blonde ladies twerking against him. <laughs> uh, that's how he responds to being dropped by his team. Um, but then we are shown the woman who will always have a place in his heart because Tina tells him yeah the, there's a phone call and he's like no no I'm gonna stay with these uh, three skanky blonde ladies and then she's like uh, well it's your aunt and then he's like oh no my aunt so he goes and he has a chat with his aunt and she's very disappointed with him because she says nowhere on the TV guide did it say she'd see her nephew's butt cheeks and the way she enunciates that butt cheeks they're really oh lord oh lordy they're throwing strength uh, they're throwing everything to try and get i mean it's all it's kind of a made by committee sort of a movie in a way definitely yeah it's just like maybe it'll be funny if that this happens so anyway gets dropped by his team gets dropped by his agent gets kicked out of the league loses uh, tina his girlfriend loses his house they take all of his stuff etc and um then he's stuck living at his aunt's and then he sees some kids playing basketball and one of one of the kids is a girl and she's really good so he gets the idea to dress up as a lady and get into the films version of the WNBA <laughs> which I'm not 100% sure but I think that the little girl is actually a boy in that scene do you think? Okay, so I, I I think I mentioned this to you last week, but the copy of the film that I got from my local blockbuster mm. included two audio commentaries. Oh, and yeah. One of the audio commentaries was with Jesse Vaughn and Miguel Nunez, and the other one was an entire commentary by Tommy Davidson on his own. <laughs> now, I... <laughs> I, I really wish, I mean, I work 40 hours a week. <laughs> I wish I had the time to sit down and listen to three hours of commentary tracks of Joanna Man, but I didn't. Instead, I just, I flicked through to, to just to key scenes to mm-hmm. see what they had to say. And I think what I gathered from this one uh, was that they actually got a little boy to play the part of the girl, Keep showing it. off her amazing skills. Keeping with the themes of the film, then. Absolutely. I don't know if they were able to find a girl who could do it. <laughs> it's not genuinely not joking. <laughs> Oy. So th- that gives him the idea to dress up as a, a lady, which is it's a, uh, it's a terrific bit of um, shit filmmaking, I think is fair oh, yeah. to say. Because you just get, he's just looking at this girl dribbling a basketball and then they put on the idea music and uh, then before we know it he's trying on his auntie's clothes he calls kevin klein and says i've got the next best thing kevin Pollock. what i say kevin klein sorry i'm operating on four hours here yeah okay kevin klein he calls him up and says i got the next best thing so she's <laughs> kevin Pollock. <laughs> uh, fuck <laughs> <laughs> just start again he calls up kevin pollock he calls up lorne michaels and he says okay i've got the next best thing and then he sets up an audition with uh the charlotte beat is it charlotte? Mm-hmm. yeah the charlotte beat yeah that's the, the no. fake charlotte hornets it's the charlotte banshees the charlotte banshees oh yeah, yeah sorry because yeah. the charlotte beat is the team that he was playing for before exactly. it's kind of mental that the whole thing is filmed in charlotte and is centered completely on the city of charlotte yeah that is an odd move. Couldn't get permits in LA. Where is Charlotte again? 
South Carolina or North Carolina? One of the Carolinas. One of the Carolinas, right. So I want to say North Carolina. Charlotte then, uh, yeah, he, he ends up playing for, well, he does his uh, tryout for these guys and uh, he's his usual dickhead self, just a, um, but Kevin Pollock warns him, do not dunk, because ladies can't dunk, uh, which is a nice bit of um, setup there. Neither can white men initially. Well, I don't know if they can or can't dunk, it's just that they can't jump. Ah, right, I see, I see, I see. Anyway, on this team is playing uh, Vivica A. Fox, a lady who is from the east of Europe with a mustache, who they rip the shit out of constantly. Yeah, from uh, Serbia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a classic character. Yeah, indeed. And uh, uh, a whole white girl, I think, could be, she could be summed up like that. And a lesbian mm. black lady. That's the whole mm-hmm. team, isn't it? That's pretty much the whole team. So he's being his usual dickhead self, but the coach informs Vivica A. Fox's Michelle that they need her. They need uh, this character. So she ends up getting signed up by the team. Um, she comes up with the name, having not thought of a name before going to the um, tryouts. She overhears somebody say, Juana, do you want to? And she says, Juana. Then she later hears somebody says, man. And uh, she says, man. The coach makes her play one-on-one with Michelle to sort this out. And she starts to develop romantic feelings for her. All the while, she notices that Michelle's boyfriend, Romeo, is uh, probably cheating on her. She sees uh, she sees that and it makes her upset. But in order to get close to Michelle, who Jamal begins to fancy as Joanna, she ends up going on some double dates with uh, Romeo and Michelle and uh, Romeo's mate, the previously referred to as played by Tommy Davidson, Puffy Smokey Smoke, who uh, fancies the arse of Jamal or Joanna. Uh, he really, really does. He really wants a piece of that. And he's the best thing in the movie, I would say. I, I can give you some more trivia about his character. Please. The teeth that he has, he has like silver or gold, either gold cap teeth. They cost uh, $5,000 out of the film budget. And he was allowed to keep them at the end of nice. the shoot. Real gold. Yeah, they're actually of value, those teeth. So if you see Tommy Davidson and you see those teeth, you might want to chisel them out of his mouth. Do you know who Romeo is played by? Genuine. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite R&B star. Yeah. Genuine. Yeah, okay, so I want to just uh, fill in on a few little bits of humor here for us to discuss. Uh, because, yeah, this is where the film made by committee really comes into play. At what, even though Joanna Mann's character arc has kind of begun at this point, and we're, she, like... Jamal is kind of becoming more of a team player. We are um, put through a montage where Jamal realizes that as a female basketball player, he can grab ladies' arses. Yeah, that's uh, the part of the film that it wouldn't it wouldn't fly today. No, certainly not. It is uh, mad is not the word for that sequence. <laughs> He's chasing after after they uh, score a basket. Is that what it's called? So that's how yeah. up on basketball terminology I am. After they sink a basket, he's going around basically uh, chasing after them and slapping their arses. <laughs> it's unreal. Like that got a big laugh out of me, but not like not. In yeah, the that was that was the point where I was laughing, going like, "Fuck you know, that's mad. <laughs> that's mad that that was okay." <laughs> yeah. That shows even like. 
you know, as far as as far as like as time goes on, and you think like, okay, things have gone a bit far. You're like, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of like anti woke culture. Mm. But also, if I see something like this, I'm like, fucking hell, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. pretty mental. Yeah, but I mean, that said, I I don't think th- I don't think that would have been a successful gag back in the day, even to be honest. It's it's terrible. Yeah, I mean, this like, this film was a, a a failure. I'm getting. Oh no, this yeah no, this film yeah. didn't even uh, make its budget back. So they're, when they're out on their double date, then the, another one that I wanted to point out is uh, Joanna needs to go in and do a wee, and a bunch of men check out his penis. They stare yeah. at his penis like, wow, that's a big penis. <laughs> Which. Here's what I think. If you're going to have loads of gags about big penises in your film, show us the penis. I I probably uh, saw Boogie Nights when I was way too young to fully comprehend it. Um, And I always thought, at least when I saw it first, I thought the fucking, the scene at the end where you see his willy is just bizarre. Um, And then when you watch it older, you're like, oh my God, if you don't see his willy, the whole movie almost doesn't work. Because the whole movie is about his willy. It's about the the adventures of Dirk Diggler's willy. So like, I think the most I think the most disappointing thing about that is that it's a stunt cock. Yes, it is. It's a stunt cock. That's right. Which Mark Wahlberg got to keep at the end. Oh, nice. Mm. Similar to uh, Tommy Davidson's teeth. Exactly. Full circle, man. Anyway, then um, po- uh, Puffy Smoke, Puff Smokey Smoke, who does genuinely, <laughs> who does genuinely seem to um, have romantic feelings for uh, Juana follows her home and uh, gets kicked in the nuts because Joanna is not giving him any. Anyway, then as they're playing an away game, all the girls are together in a hotel room with Joanna Man there um, drinking wine and uh, then Joanna starts to teach all the ladies that uh, men are just after you know a bit of ass and this is the one joke mm-hmm. in the film this is the one joke in the film that got a laugh out of me where she's just spilling the beans on all the men stuff and then she says and as we all know ladies it's not the size of the boat it's the motion in the ocean and then all the ladies kind of go well no it's totally the size of the boat which i actually did think was a funny joke i got a laugh out of i me. didn't i was pers- i was personally offended <laughs> I, I did. Re- I, sorry. I, I, let me clarify. Offended on. on behalf of other people. <laughs> They're playing their away game. Michelle catches Romeo cheating on her in a very typical movie fashion. He goes for the shaggy defense. It doesn't work. It wasn't me. Yes, he goes for it wasn't me, even though he's caught red-handed. And then they're playing some game near the end of the season whatever something like that oh wait no jamal gets a second hearing to maybe get back into the league and kevin pollock sets it up for him and (laughs) this is a point where this film takes itself so seriously there's no excuse for it there's no excuse for it so it's his second hearing is on at the same time as the most important game in the wnba league and uh it's all, he's either going to show up for that meeting or show up for his teammates, the ladies, uh, as Joanna Mann. And then we see, we're there with Kevin Pollock in the hearing, and uh, he's, it looks like he's not showing up. And then we see him show up for the game, for the ladies. And then back at the hearing, it cuts to the, the guys who would be giving the hearing, the committee or whatever, say, well, I guess he's never learnt. And Kevin Pollock says, no, no, I think he has. 
because he shows up for the ladies. <laughs> it's like on that got a laugh out of me because I was thinking I can't believe <laughs> this film is taking itself seriously. I really can't believe it. Well, I like the idea that they would have just kept pressing Kevin Pollock going like, wait, what do you mean by that? What, <laughs> what do you mean he's learned? <laughs> could you elaborate on that a little? That could help his case. Yeah. Uh, God, what a silly, silly. Like, I mean, I can't believe that the sort of films that Will Ferrell made massive existed mostly in the background for the 1990s. Like, like there was a lot of sincere comedies going out in the 1990s. This is a 90s movie. Like I, don't, I don't care if it's... Too, it, nah, yeah, it's from 2002. But yeah, it's, it's the spirit of the 90s. I hear that. But what, what are your examples of the overly serious comedy from the 90s? Big Mama's House comes to mind, to be honest. Nutty Professor. Mm, Nutty. That's another one as well, I think, where Eddie Murphy's was in a dress at one point there. Is that him? Oh, yeah, sure. He's the grandmother in that. I'm sure there are more. Maybe it was just like um, African-American cinema that was doing it. Anyway, there is a sincerity to this would be my point. Oh, it's operating as no, a different thing. It, it should have just been a straight out comedy, but they wanted to add a sentimental side that doesn't really achieve anything. Yeah, and I would actually like to... What I, I just made a nonsense point there. There was plenty of crazy movies coming out there back then. Plenty of them. Yeah, Like what? Wayne's World... Austin Powers. I know I just named two Mike Myers things, but you know they maybe think of it. <laughs> the Master of Disguise. Damn it, that's directly connected yeah. to Wayne's. So I married an axe. Murderer. So I married an axe murderer. Is another one. The Love Guru. Who could forget? Yeah, it's a classic. Uh, yes, indeed. I actually like The Love Guru. I think I thought it was funny. Uh, I haven't watched it purely because of how poorly rated it was. It was fairly poorly rated, which is why it was a nice surprise for me. Anyway, in the final game, that, we could have that round uh, another time. That would have been a good companion for. Joanna man it would have and same we'll, year I think 2002 we'll bring it up we'll we'll get it watched on the next round of uh, supposedly shit movies and I'll bring something actually shit although mm. I've probably picked my one for that already anyway <laughs> in the final Jamal breaks Kevin Pollock's wonderfully set up rule which is to not dunk because when he when you dunk I don't know do you know this Andy but when you dunk your wig falls off. Yeah. This is a thing that happens. So he dunks and smashes the fucking board. <laughs> and his wig falls off, revealing to all his teammates that it is actually um, Jamal. It's been Jamal all along, which, I mean, everybody's all hurt by it. And then he gets, you know what I mean? He gets another hearing and they're still not convinced. But then all his lady teammates come in and say, no, listen. Jamal is a good guy and he should be able to play basketball again. And then Michelle gives him a smooch. Something that's interesting to me about the film is that I feel that Miguel Nunez is better as Joanna than as Jamal. Strangely, like with the Southern character that he's You're doing for the lady. You're absolutely dead right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's surprising that when he's doing the the kind of broad comedy character i don't know if he even is a broad comedy character i don't know what he's doing like a mrs brown's boys or something but it's it's definitely uh yeah it's he's much better playing that character for some reason yeah 100 percent. looking through his filmography here yeah it's uh it's patchy it is patchy and then I just realized uh, the opening of this film reminds me a little bit of the opening of Lethal Weapon 4, which is probably the most memorable thing I can say about it. Anyway, I was delighted 
with the Juana Man. Thank you for bringing it into my life, to be honest. And it was a really enjoyable watch with my little baby daughter. Honestly, uh, like, Juana Man is a lot better than it has any right to be. It's entertaining enough. It's funny enough. It's still at the sentimental side. Okay, it doesn't really work as a romantic comedy, but it could be so much worse. I was expecting a lot worse. I've watched bad comedies that are hard to get through, and this was absolutely fine. I had zero problems. 90 minutes flew by. Yeah, because it's so easy to watch. You know, like that's one of the things I meant, and this, I honestly think the same is true for Dress to Kill. There is, mm, yeah, y- no surprises, which is fine by me. But I'll and I'll get you to do the intro, obviously. But I mean, I think it's, I think we could both agree that um, Dress to Kill is a far superior film. <laughs> I think I would. Say, I think that's fair to say. Yes, I think Dress. I would actually go as far as to say I think Dress to Kill is a very good film. Um, I really enjoyed it. I don't think Joanna Man... So we've grouped these films together as films where men dress as women. Mm-hmm. But Dress to Kill is clearly about trans. There's a trans character. Yes. Joanna Man doesn't doesn't go into any of that territory at no. all. It doesn't even really comment on the fact that he's dressing up as a woman. It's not really... I mean... It's not going in, in any similar territory. The arc of the film seems to be what Jamal becoming more sensitive by getting in touch with his feminine side. But then, you know, they take that line for a literal walk, I suppose would be, Mm. but I mean, really it's just an excuse to get a black man in a dress. Let's be fair. I mean, I'm, I would genuinely, whatever about the conspiracy theories of it. Um, there was a time where putting black men in dresses proved to be very lucrative for Hollywood. So, I would, yeah, I would I say that, that was the idea here. Yeah. Have you ever seen Big Mama's House? Any of those? <laughs> Surprisingly, I haven't. No, no, I have not either. But I'll tell you what. I hope this doesn't come across as racist. But I mean, I have seen Mrs. Doubtfire many times, and I really enjoy that film. I think Mrs. Doubtfire is great. But you know what? I, I, even as I'm saying it out loud, the you know, the missing ingredient is obvious. It's like Robin Williams. Robin Williams is Robin just, Williams. Yeah, it's just yeah. Fan- fantastic. Yeah. God, what a podcast for stating the obvious. So the second film was Dressed to Kill. Dressed to Kill is a 1980 American neo-noir slasher film written and directed by J.K. Rowling and Graham Linehan. (laughs) Under the pen name Brian De Palma. I thought you would enjoy that. That's very good, yes. (laughs) Go on. It stars Michael Caine, <laughs> uh, Angie, Angie Dickinson making her second Call It Friendo appearance after which film? Oh, God. No idea. I can't remember. Sorry. Point Blank. Oh, of course. Yeah. Early days. And uh, the other star of the film, uh, Nancy Allen. The origin of the film stems from the late 1970s. Brian De Palma wrote a screenplay based on Gerald Walker's article, Cruising, but was unable to obtain the rights to the material. Cruising was subsequently adapted and directed by William Friedkin, while Mm -hmm. De Palma fashioned some of the elements from his own Cruising screenplay into this movie, which is an inversion of the psycho formula in that the psychiatrist is the villain and also a devious serial killer and cross-dresser, while the introverted young man and his mother are the good guys. Well, I mean, this this is an Alfred Hitchcock tribute album. Like, there's no question about that. Mm. I mean, this is, yeah, that's exactly what it is. A lot of Brian De Palma is just that. No, never so explicitly as this. This is the most explicit one I've seen. But, I mean, he, that's 
what he does. He's just a big, big, massive Alfred Hitchcock fanboy. What's the last good thing that Brian De Palma did? Because I feel like it really, really went to shit. Yeah, I don't mind. Uh, don't mind. No, I enjoy Snake Eyes. Uh, I think that's good. I, I rewatched Snake Eyes within the last year, and it is fairly rough going. It's nice that they tell it from different perspectives, and well, you get the typical the... Brian De Palma camera tracking, but oof. Yeah, once the once 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 they start to try and um, get plotty on you, the, yeah, it's not uh, like uh, the like particularly the finale with is it Gary Sinise? Mm. Yeah, Gary Sinise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the first half an hour is pretty fun, I would say. Yeah, you've got Cage running around being a psycho as always. Uh, before Snake Eyes was Mission Impossible, so oh, I that's, guess that's like the that's last good, real yeah. functioning film. But everything I mean, everything afterwards is a bit dodgy. Like I'm a fan of a lot of. De Palma films, though. I mean, I love yeah, me too. Uh, Sisters, Obsession. I'm not a massive Scarface fan, but I'd watch it. Which yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Uh, Carlito's Way is great. The Untouchables. Yeah, mm-hmm. love it. And I, I love his Mission Impossible film. I think it's terrific. The film was a box office hit in the USA, grossing thirty-one point nine million from a six point five million dollar budget. Nancy Allen, De Palma's wife at the time, received both a Golden Globe Award nomination for New Star of the Year as well as an inaugural first-year Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actress. Oh, that's a bit rough. I, I can understand because the parts of her performance when she was speaking were not great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. she did display some other talents. I mean, all right. Brian, Brian is De Palma is a big old perv. Definitely. I mean, but I mean, I don't think he tries to hide that. I think he's as much of a perv as Alfred Hitchcock was, you know, which was a big mm. old perv. I'm just looking at his filmography here. He's got loads of stuff that I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like absolutely love. I mean, Carrie, Blowout, uh, Casualties of War. Did you ever watch that? Sure. With Michael J. Fox. That's a terrific film. Michael Caine's role as Dr. Elliot very nearly ended up being played by Sean Connery. Sean Connery, of course, went on to win an Academy Award in The Untouchables. You'll mock him with a G here, pal. Classic uh, Irish police officer. They send one of us to the hospital. We send one of theirs to the morgue. That's, to the morgue? That's the Chicago gay. Did you say gay? No, 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 I didn't. <laughs> okay, just Did check. you hear gay? Yep. Oh, nice. The original opening of the film was supposed to be the killer disguised through lighting and clever photography performing his own ad hoc sex change operation in the bathroom. Good God. This was later altered... This was later altered to Angie Dickinson fantasizing in the shower. Yes, indeed. Probably just as well there. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I have to say, Angie Dickinson was probably getting on at this point. She was in her mid-40s. And looking tidy. Well, let me just spoil that for you, because the film starts, at the start of the film, we see Dickinson's Kate Miller lathering herself up in the shower while her husband Mike shaves in front of a mirror. After a couple of minutes of De Palma showing us Dickinson's body double, model Victoria Johnson, uh. soaping up the lads, a man appears behind Kate, seemingly murdering her. So, sorry to tell you, she had a body double for this. There are two shower scenes in this, uh, and I... <laughs> I <I've, laughs> is this how hot ladies shower? Because I, I tried this mm-hmm. shower method afterwards and it's not well, a, touching yourself it's not an efficient way to clean no i mean just to do it like you know you're in an enya music video i mean it's just not a good way to clean mm. yourself i would say it depends i feel like it's probably wasting a lot of water i try and get in and out 
get it done. Brian De Palma will never Instead make a of movie of it. myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept that. <laughs> I continue. At this point, Kate wakes up screaming. We find her instead being ridden somewhat awkwardly by her husband, Mike. <laughs> It's a, uh, it's a a brutally awful, it's a, a, an awkward, awkward shagging session. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's not great. To maintain the vernacular of the podcast that we've established, which I think is necessary. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It is. It's not a, it's a, it's a, it's an awful looking shagging session. And like you, like it's. I think it's I think it's it's very well placed to completely just contrast with the way Brian De Palma makes his films, which is you know slickness and smooth camera dollies mm. and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, you, how's that for your love? How's that Hammering for you? away. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, that's funny. At the end of their lovemaking, at the end of their lovemaking, Kate looks rather unfulfilled. That always reminds me of Mark in Peep Show going unfilled. <laughs> But Kate looks rather unfulfilled. Kate pops in to check on her son, Peter. Mike is not Peter's father, as his real dad was killed in Vietnam. So Peter, played by Keith Gordon, uh, he, he bears a striking resemblance to New York comedy blogger and bird poet Seth Simons. That might be too niche a reference. That's but. a very niche reference, yes. <laughs> For anyone who's interested in New York comedy. That's who he looks like. In any case, the scene is set. Unfulfilled housewife. Her, her son is a tech nerd with a strained relationship with the stepdad. She's looking for some distraction from her boring suburban life. So Kate goes to see her psychiatrist, Dr. Robert Elliott, played by Michael Caine. Spoilers right from the start, but as we've already mentioned, uh, Michael Caine is a baddie. Were you surprised to find no. that out, or, or did no, you? No, no, no. Yeah, because I, when I she did arrives, not feel like there was any reveal at all. When yeah, yeah, when she well, no, I think that like uh, this is one way I feel like he's directly like he's really, really going for the Hitchcock tribute because I think like. <laughs> I think the twist is revealed here in exactly the same manner as in Psycho. And I think yes. just the the Psycho, anybody who's seen I think he does something like almost cleverly subconscious to viewers here. Because I think anybody who's seen Psycho, the second she visits the psychiatrist goes, oh, it's him. There's like, yeah, like before there's even a murder, you know, it's him. There's one one thing I, th- I might have even said it on this podcast because I, I watched Psycho recently and I, I remember uh, thinking if I can get like my daughter to the age where it's OK for her to see Psycho and she and I can hide the twist from her and actually get to experience what that twist was like when it came out in cinemas. Just to at least witness one person get to because um, I've heard interviews with Brian De Palma actually in the the film De Palma directed co-directed by Noah Baumbach where he the experience of seeing Psycho for him was um, transcendental almost and he de- like describes the way that like uh, watching it your perspective sw- your pers- you're you're rooting for different people all the time etc and I think he uh, he play- pays tribute to that here but I don't think like tell me a De Palma film where the fucking plot matters like the plot is completely irrelevant here I just think by the time your daughter's old enough to watch Psycho uh, I don't think anyone's going to have the attention span to watch any narrative feature at that point it'll, we'll just be living in a world of TikTok videos no my daughter will 
Stop that. So Andy. good luck. Okay, good luck with that. Anyway, so Kate asks Dr. Elliot if he's up for a riding, and when he <laughs> declines her offer, she heads off to the Metropolitan Museum of New York on the search for hard cock. Yes, and she finds some. Hmm. Yeah, the museum scene is reminiscent of a number of De Palma films, such as the station scene in Carlito's Way. In a wordless nine-minute scene, we see Kate flirt with a man, show him her wedding ring, chase after him, get weirded out when he tries to return her glove, leave the museum exasperated, and then jump into the guy's cab when he waves her over. Yeah, indeed. He gives her a, a good seeing to. And this leads on to one of my favorite twists in film history. Maybe not, but Is I... it the... the vd reveal the vd reveal is fucking hilarious <laughs> after this gentleman waves kate over she gets in the taxi with him in the taxi the guy she picked up in the museum starts going to town on her the taxi driver does the old classic adjust the mirror this must be my lucky day and then kate wakes up at the man's house after they've slept together she sneaks out with her stuff to phone her husband, leaving a note for her lover. When she looks in one of the man's drawers, she finds a record of a recent STD test showing that this man has got a venereal disease. Of course, this is all pre-AIDS at this point. All I recall from it right now was uh, the phrasing was quite frantic. Like, hey, seriously, read this. Seriously. Kate hightails it out to the flat. She takes the lift down to the ground floor and then remembers that she left her wedding ring. When she heads back up and the lift doors open, she's greeted by a lady, a lady in a black coat holding a straight razor who proceeds to slash Kate more or less to death. Mm. When the lift doors open again, prostitute Liz Blake, played by Nancy Allen, is there to witness a lady with the razor, narrowly avoiding getting slashed up herself. Terrific Yeah, I don't know about scene. you, but... When I was watching this uh, and I saw the killer, I said out loud, that's Michael Caine in a wig. And yet it wasn't Michael Caine in a wig. Because no. in most of the scenes, except for the finale in Dr. Robert Elliott's office, Bobby the killer was played by Susanna Clem, who also portrayed Detective Luce. Huh. No, I definitely thought it was. But she um, looked like Michael Caine in a wig. Yeah, yeah, I definitely thought that was Michael Caine in a wig. I, I, I would also like to say, yeah, that um, scene where Nancy, first of all, sees uh, dead Angie Dickinson and then just about catches not Michael Caine in a wig in the mirror, is uh, that's a really terrific little scene. I thought that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. He's very proud of the, the lift scene. He's, he's called it the best murder scene he's ever done, which is from an interview that I'll I'll post in the show notes, but he was very, very proud. And it is. It's it's a terrific scene. Like in particular, just he was that. he was very happy with all the mirror work. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic that that uh, when Nancy just about sees her at the end and then grabs the blade, because um, mm, you think he's about to chop her her hand off, which would be tough with a straight razor, but still, you mm. never know. Uh, in the next scene, we see Dr. Elliot receive a call from a trans patient who claims that he has killed a woman. This patient named Bobby tells the psychiatrist that she stole his razor to commit the murder. Yeah. At the police station, we meet uh, Dennis Franz, a young Dennis Franz as Detective Marino, looking like he came straight out to the deuce. I would just like to say that, um, like, that is just... That's basically just psycho deconstruction there. The voice message from... Uh, like oh you're getting mm. a voice message from your transvestite self there that's cool that's like it's basically it's mm. you know anthony perkins talking with his mother in psycho essentially so does that mean that this how does that function in the in how we are viewing the film that that is not actually playing that nothing is happening there he's pressing play and there's no voice or he was doing no, an no, american he, accent and calling himself it, up, i think like, he how is that supposed to 
I think he left himself a message, essentially. Like, uh, right, using they, someone else's voice. Right. Or so, we're just hearing the voice that we want, he wants to hear. Or. This film w- would seem to come under fire, or has come under fire prob- probably in recent years, but who knows? Maybe you've probably done more research on it than me. I think it was, I think it was controversial at the time, even. Yeah, that, I mean, De Palma's a misogynist, <laughs> quite frankly. But, like, one of the film controversies that i'm more able to get on board with like when people like i do think the i do think mental illness is probably tackled more insensitively and like then i i think it probably that's a discussion that's much more warranted than a lot of the bullshit you hear about people like people talking about representation and things like that i like i do think the way mental illness is often portrayed is just inaccurate inaccurate and stupid i've heard people giving out about psycho in this regard and I looked it up and it's like those are pr- completely well founded or even something like a beautiful mind is not a good depiction of a paranoid schizophrenic apparently yeah i heard that apparently and uh, here too i would I like because the thing is it's like okay yeah all right fuck it yeah the film is misogynistic and it is transphobic definitely yeah but i don't think those are cards that it has close to its chest either and i think uh, I like. I think in those regards, this film is pretty much an exploitation film. Listening to what Brian De Palma said about the trans issues in the film, I think he said like at the time this was kind of either the way of thinking or he was exploring it, and he doesn't really feel he's not like apologetic about it or anything. But he just kind of said like it's of its time period. It is what mm. it is, which is, I think is more or less fair enough. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, I would say so. But equally, like, yeah, I, I think we've come a long way, no matter what anyone thinks. I think we could probably all agree that we have a better understanding these days. Yeah, indeed. So Dr. Elliot reveals to Detective Marino that Kate Miller was his patient and that she was out cruising for a shafting. <laughs> I, I just... <laughs> I feel like that slightly undercut my previous point. Anyway, all the while, <laughs> some Peter Miller. <laughs> I just, like I, <laughs> I just what makes me laugh the I've most, written. Andy, is your like BBC like delivery of these. Just <laughs> all the while, some Peter Miller listens in using his newfangled recording equipment. Peter takes that as his cue to go set up surveillance outside the doctor's clinic, looking for the rogue patient who killed his mother. Keith Gordon, who plays Peter, went on to become an accomplished director himself, directing films such as The Singing Detective and Waking the Dead, and in the world of TV, directed episodes of Fargo, Better Call Saul, and The Leftovers. Mm. Apparently, he learned quite a lot from Brian De Palma on set. Nice. thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian De Palma, yeah. The next couple of scenes are classic De Palma action again, as Nancy Allen's Liz Blake is pursued by a blonde lady on the subway, with Liz almost running afoul of a gang of punks who threaten to rape her. However, she gets away and meets up with Peter. The following day, Detective Marino warns her that she's still the prime suspect of the crime and basically twists her arm to go break into Dr. Elliot's office to clear her name and find the details of the patient, Bobby. By like watching The Deuce, and also I read this book by Steven Pinker, I've come on uh, upon... Um just uh, how bad the 1970s and 80s were for crime in yeah. New York. Um, like, and yeah, mm. they, you know, they go at it pretty much head on here. But uh, yeah, it, that was just very much fresh in my head. Uh, like how many films around mm. this time take that at, directly as a backdrop? Even like the like, like John Carpenter, I mean, 
Escape from New York is basically right. a, a film about the, the 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 epidemic of crime that was happening in cities, or yeah, what you call it, Assault and Precinct Thirteen as well. But Assault and yeah, Precinct Thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, I, how many films are there that take this directly as a backdrop of how just how bad crime Absolutely. was? Mm. So Liz heads over to Doctor Elliot's office in a coat, which she quickly strips off, revealing some sexy underwear. She tries to seduce Michael Caine and then slips out to powder her nose and rifle through his files. While she's out of the room, Kane wa- whacks on his blonde wig and dress, revealing himself to be the killer. As Dr. Elliot slash Bobby is about to kill Liz, Detective Luce, a blonde lady who had been following Blake, fires shots through the window, sending Michael, Michael to the floor. This is a good example of um, plots not mattering in, in Brian De Palma films. Because, you know, I mean, the reveal of that it's been this um, uh, transvestite police officer, fo- it just doesn't matter. Like, not at all. Not even a little. Is a is a is a police officer a transvestite? Yes. Is play it's a woman. Yes. Are they are they trans are they transgender or? Uh, it's de- yeah yeah I don't know I, the actor or. Well, I don't know, but the character certainly yeah, and that's referred oh, to. All right, okay. Yeah. At the end of the film, and I'll try to be as careful as possible with my pronouns here, but it's revealed that Dr. Elliot is a pre-op transsexual and Bobby, his true trans identity, felt the need to murder the woman who gave Dr. Elliot erections as they were somehow taunting him and his refusal to get surgery. Liz and Peter meet for lunch and have a very loud public conversation about trans surgery, much to the disgust of a nearby elderly lady. The meal is filmed at the Windows on the World restaurant at the top of the North World Trade Center Tower. Ironically, a location where Al-Qaeda would eventually perform a kind of vaginoplasty of their own, (laughs) creating a gaping chasm from a previously proud and tall phallic edifice. (laughs) I mean, you picked a a really um, good week to overwrite your script. I mean, because I'm just not, my brain is not in this. But I mean, I liked it. That was good. That was good. Well done. That uh, conversation, I've actually borne witness to something like that. Just out with my parents walking in the street in in Barcelona with uh, Belen. And uh, my dad just, you know, like being his curious, pragmatic self, sort of like, because this was two or three years ago when, I don't know, trans issues were just huge in the news. And my dad said, uh, but I mean, I can't believe how much headline space it's taking up, considering what a low percentage of the population it is. And he says, and I, 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 like, I don't even know, like, you, you hear of uh, w- women to men uh, transsexuals, how did they do that? And Belen proceeded to explain the two options you have. <laughs> and my mother was that lady. For sure, like yeah. just, just like, oh my god, I do not want to hear this. Plus, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, and I could, I could empathize. So, in the basically the final scene of the film, more or less, we have a real kind of Arkham Asylum vibe as a nurse walks over to check on Michael Caine. There's a lot of Dutch angles as we see Doctor Elliot slash Bobby lying on a bed. He then, in real horror film style, snaps into consciousness and strangles this nurse to death. Mm. Putting on her uniform, he then finds his way to Peter's house, where, again, now we have another shower scene as we find Liz in the shower. As Michael Caine sneaks into the room to murder her, Liz sees him in the mirror And as he slashes her with his straight razor, Liz then wakes up, revealing that that end sequence had all been a dream. Yes. What did you think of that? I thought that was quite effective because 
I did not expect it. I did not expect that at all. Yeah, and I think particularly that worked, her getting that her quite well. And, yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed it, though. I really enjoyed both the films. I thought it was solid. Yeah, I thought it was a good double bill, bizarrely. Yeah. And much better than watching Norbit. Thank fuck he didn't choose that. Yes, indeed. Thank fuck I didn't choose that. Uh, which is why I'm going to push in my all my art house chips to the center of the table this week. What are you Fair bringing enough. to the What are you bringing to the table? So I went for John Dygan's 1987 coming of age tale, The Year My Voice Broke. This is the film that gave Noah Taylor and Ben Mendelsohn their start as teens, and I've been meaning to watch it forever. Even though John Dygan is a controversial figure these days for grooming Tandy Newton, uh, his films are still good. Apparently, his early ones. Grooming Tandy Newton. I didn't. I didn't hear about. Yeah, that. he had. He had a relationship with her in the early nineties. That when she was sixteen years old. Ah, okay. Well, that's not kosher. No, sir. Ah, okay. But apparently, his films are good, and he, and uh, Tandy Newton has has stated that it's annoying how good his films are. <laughs> good. Well, uh, it sounds perfectly acceptable. Me, on the other hand, I selected a film. And I'm going to have to fully commit to it because I only later saw the massive runtime. But anyway, I mean, it's supposed to be rather good. I heard uh, Joe Cornish uh, wax lyrical about it a few years ago. 2016's Aquarius, which is a Brazilian-French drama film about a lady who kind of refuses to move out of an old apartment building. Nice. Do you have a coin? I believe I do. One second. So, Andy, to you I offer a 50 or uh, Cervantes. Cervantes. Okie doke. You win. It's Cervantes this week. Cervantes. I'm not massively pleased. I would have. I would, either way, I would have been absolutely fine. Yeah, indeed. Okay. Do you want to tell me what I would have won? Well, I was going to select the next film by the same director which is 2019's Baccarat which I'd also heard Joe Cornish talking about on a podcast ah I guess he's just a fan of it what podcast I think it was on the Adam Buxton one ah right that's exactly where I this is Adam he just uses Adam Buxton's there you go. podcast he's a big fan of that director yeah must be alright well my my uh, companion piece I'm gonna go I'm gonna go all out Australian on this one I'm going to go uh, with the film that Nick Cave has said just defines the male uh, Australian experience. 1974's Wake... 1971's, rather. Wake in Fright. Film. I've never heard of it. Okay, Mar- good. Martin Scorsese, also a big fan of this film. Mm. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. I love you all. And you too, Andy. Bye-bye. I love you. Bye-bye. Love you too. Bye.